Hey, Shelby, uh, if I'm announcing you as Shelby Strawn, am I pronouncing yes. your name correctly? Yep. Awesome. And Daria Colhurst. Yep, that's good. And Scott Farmer, Farmer, yours is a little bit easier. Yeah, that's that's the hardest one. Yeah, I, I prefer Farmer. Yes, thanks. <laughs> it's Foute, it's French. There we go. I, I was trying to, my French isn't very good. I was trying to get a French accent on there. The views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Seat 41A. I'm Manoj Rima, and my co-hosts are... I'm Greg Taylor, and my most-watched movie is The Princess Bride. I'm Christopher Foote, and my most-watched movie is A Christmas Story. I have a feeling words will be said about that later. And I'm Manoj Rima, and my most-watched movie is Rush Hour 2. All right, let's clear the air here first before we uh, get started, because I know <laughs> Greg's already looking at me and glaring and making faces. Go ahead, Greg. Let's hear it. Let's hear how terrible our our friendship seems to be getting worse every time we do one of these, because we seem to be on opposite ends. I'm going to make some popcorn and watch this. Hold on. I'm not upset. I'm actually, I feel bad for you. If If that's the best then there's so much life yet to be lived. And here you are at this stage in your life and you know, you've experienced so little and I mourn for you. That's all. I don't even know what to say to that. So let me just explain, I guess 24 hours every year. That's the go-to movie during Christmas. You have to watch it all day long. It's required. I'm pretty sure there's a law somewhere that states that you have to watch that. So in our family, It's a Wonderful Life makes an appearance every Christmas. We just don't turn on that channel that has a Christmas story on, and we're pretty successful in avoiding the movie. So I would just offer that as a suggestion for you, maybe for this holiday season, is just don't turn it on, and then you don't have to watch it. That's not going to happen. So 1 December every year, the major award goes up in the front window every year. And I own the movie, obviously. So we are we're just playing it on repeat all day. It's fine. I just it's not something that I, I want to watch. The Ralphie character, I think he just annoys me. All right. Well, we're not here to talk about a Christmas story, are we? But as much fun as it is, and I can probably talk about that all day, but I think we're here for something else, right? Yeah, well, I think we should collectively gang up on Manoj about rush hour two. He's he's egging us on in our debate, to escape any kind of scrutiny or judgment about Rush Hour 2. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Rush Hour 2. It's the perfect movie. All right, full disclosure, I've never seen it. It sounds like we've got a plan for what to do tonight after the baseball game is over. All right, like Chris said, we are here for reasons beyond just debating the merits of one movie or another. Today, we have with us a panel of guests who are here to talk about you know one topic, which is something that a lot of our listeners who are currently serving in the military are going to experience at one point in time or another in their career, which is transitioning out of the military. So we've got three guests with us today. So first up, we have Daria Coldhurst. 
And then we also have Scott Farmer and Shelby Strong. And these three individuals all uh, within the past few years have transitioned out of the military and have embarked on their own civilian life journeys post Air Force. And so we're really excited to have them here. And I'll start with Daria. If Daria, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about, you know, your Air Force career and, and what you've been up to since you left the Air Force? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. So my MSC journey started uh, in 2016, and I separated uh, towards the end of 2020. Um, I served my whole time at Keesler, and uh, I worked in systems as the commander's exec and in RMO. So a quick few years, but I had come from the civilian sector and worked in hospitals and corporate compliance and legal while I was getting my master's. So I did kind of a direct commission to see if that was a path that I wanted to take. Since separating, though, I decided to stay in the government sector. I now work for the VA under the Veterans Benefits Administration as a human capital strategist for human capital services side of the VBA. So doing strategic planning and things like that. Well, thanks, Daria. And thanks for, thanks for being here. Scott, would you like to introduce yourself next? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. Pleasure to be on with you guys. Really uh, enjoy what you're doing. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, forum that a lot of people are interested in. So kudos to you all. So yeah, I, 21 years, six months for me, uh, joined in 2001, straight out of college. You know, my previous job before that was Chili's, right? Awesome Blossoms. That's what I was all about. So I retired out of the ACC SGX position and my date of retirement was January 1st of 23. I really was a generalist, right? Doing all kinds of things, Topa exec, writing this RMO log, a couple of squadron commands, a couple of deployments, and uh, AFPC. So amazing experience. Loved all of it. Just great bosses and friendships and all that. But again, pleasure to be here. Are we saying our movie yet or not yet? Oh, no, please do. So what is your uh, most watched movie? Well, you know, after listening to you guys, I might change my mind a little bit because I understand the Christmas thing and the philosophy behind that. But that would be more Elf for me and not Christmas Story. I would never say a sequel. So I'm definitely not on the on board for that. So for me, setting the scene, 80s, older sister, it was all about John Hughes, Pretty in Peak, 16 Candles. Not afraid to admit that. That's my two. Rom-coms are, uh, I think, a really popular answer there because they seem to always be on TV too, especially something, things in the 80s, 90s timeframe. All right, Shelby, can you give us a, a little bit about yourself? Yes. Thank you for having me. So I commissioned in 2018 out of Air Force ROTC. I don't think there's a lot of MSCs that commission out of ROTC. It's the MSC career field. It's not a very well-known career field in the ROTC world. They focus a lot more on the line side. So during my MSC career, I, I tried to make it a point to do as many outreach events as I could with RTC detachments because I wanted to make sure people knew about about our career field and how and how awesome it is. But anyway, so uh, shortly after commissioning, I came out to Dover, Delaware. I was stationed at Dover Air Force Base. I separated March 2023. So uh, similar to Daria, I did kind of a quick short four and a half years. My first rotation was in Topa. Loved it. Recent and then. After that, went into the group practice management role. That was probably my favorite role I've done. Um, and actually kind of helped me figure out what I wanted to do post military life. After that, I went to systems. Um, and then as I mentioned, I separated, uh, this past March and I've actually been pursuing my masters of science and data analytics full time, been on some job interviews and hoping to get into working here soon. And I am 
Also similar to Christopher, my most watched movie of all time is The Breakfast Club. It's the look on his face right there. He's so disappointed. <laughs> I was so excited. I thought she was gonna say you really like set it up like to say that you were you were going for a Christmas story, and then it was Breakfast Club, which is a fantastic movie, by the way. I love that movie. Uh, but I definitely did not anticipate you going that direction. <laughs> Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said Christopher. I meant Scott. <laughs> no, I totally thought you were rubbing it in his face. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go with that then. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It, it worked. All right, circling back, Daria, do you have a most watched movie that you want to share with everybody? Oh, this is funny. Um, So the practicality of the question, I do appreciate Christopher's answer because I was not thinking in that direction. But first came to my mind was more of either Mean Girls or Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Uh, any kind of trash that I know every line that's on TV all the time. Yep, those are mine. <laughs> all right. Enough movie talk. Yeah, let's get to the real stuff. So thank you all for your intros. And each of you has you know, just from that intro, a very different story, which which I think is great. It's going to provide, you know, some varying perspectives for the folks who are going to listen to uh, what we've got out there, the tens of listeners that we have out there. So uh, okay. we'll just jump into the into the first question. Did any of you use the SkillBridge program uh, when you left the military? Scott, can we start with you? Yeah, Absolutely. And yes, I did. Shout out to General Bogart and Colonel Malloy who allowed me to do SkillBridge, right? I wasn't so sure that I'd have the opportunity, but I did. It was amazing. I recommend it and can certainly talk about it. Hey, Daria, did you go with SkillBridge as well? And how was that for you? Yes, I did. Um, and I absolutely recommend that. I think it should be a mandatory transitioning tool. Um, I know it's still kind of a little bit under the radar, but I would start looking at it now. If you are thinking about transitioning, talk to your leadership now. Make sure that they know your intentions uh, before you're going to transition because you are afforded six months, but your commanders don't have to give you that. You know, essentially you're being paid by the Air Force and working for a completely different agency. So, you know, something to think about that no one in the private sector would probably let you do. But I did. It was an amazing experience. My Colonel Tracy Swingle at the time gave me three to four months to go ahead and do that. And so I decided to move to Colorado and I did a skill bridge with the Hiring Our Heroes program uh, through an initiative they have with Amazon. And I basically was a overarching position manager for a five to 6,000 person fulfillment center. So learned a lot and kind of helped drive my next decisions from there. Shelby, did you use SkillBridge as well or, or no? So I did not utilize SkillBridge. I wanted to. I actually, I had set up a meeting with my commander and we talked about it. We were having some manning issues as I'm sure everyone probably has experienced at some point in their career. But I actually, I was up in systems when they made the transition to losing that officer position. And so um, we were also losing um, one of our airmen and one of our NCOs at the time. And so my commander was, you know, kind of trying to figure out what they were going to do with that. And so, um, you know, she was transparent with me and said, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to make this happen. And then kind of some time had passed. And then, you know, I applied to school and just decided, you know, was just going to kind of forgo the opportunity. Sometimes, you know, I wish I would have decided to still go through with it. But, you know, it happened the way it happened. I'm glad where I'm at right now. But um, I definitely also recommend that anybody who is thinking about it to definitely 
talk with your commander early, let them know your intentions. Um, cause you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, it was a manning issue. Your commander has to allow you to do it. So make sure they know early on and just try to do as much research as you can in the process. Yeah. I agree with, with Daria and Shelby. I think what helped me sort of line it up and, and granted, you know, you may not have this opportunity to, to make the timing work out, but my biggest sell was trying to set up that skill bridge as my replacement was coming, right? So that transition was happening. Cause we all know, you know, once you PCS, you're kind of like, okay, you're dead to me. Let's bring on the new person and, and let's roll, right? So that was sort of my angle uh, to try to sell it. Hey, so I really appreciate all that and you guys sharing your experiences, but I want to rewind it a little bit here. And so for people like myself, who are completely uninitiated into what SkillBridge is exactly. Can you guys maybe tell us a little bit about how you were introduced to it, how you got information on it, maybe where somebody might be able to find some information and, and just maybe exactly what the program is? So um, I had a little bit of an advantage, right, working at AFPC. And so that's when I first heard about it. But it was amazing how not a known thing for quite a few years and, and still today, I think it's one of those awesome benefits that a lot of people don't know much about. So I just started asking around a little bit at AFEC, but knowing that, you know, Steelbridge was way into the future, not exactly knowing, you know, what kind of timing I was looking at and that kind of thing. And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, went to TAP for the first time, they talked about it. And there was a gentleman there that worked at the Breer office, I believe it was. And he had a lot of great information. And I just got an appointment with him. Uh, to talk about what are the rules on this thing and, you know, what, what do you have to do and timelines and such. And, and granted, things could have changed, right? Because things are always changing. But, but essentially, at the time, it was you could do up to six months of a skill bridge. It could be anywhere, you know, in the United States. So for me, I ended up leaving Virginia Langley six months before my retirement, came to San Antonio, to Bernie, uh, to do a skill bridge with WellMed. So not only was it awesome in the fact that you can start getting that civilian experience and kind of figuring out how it all works and even from like what to wear and how to act, because it's amazing, you know, just the, the habits and things that we've incorporated. And not that they're bad, because a lot of them are awesome, right? But uh, just some of the things that you have to shed. And the other thing that was very helpful, though, was just that time to, you have a paycheck, you're getting established, maybe you're moving into your, you know, your retirement home or whatever. So that was very helpful too. get your kids situated, spouse, you know, job opportunities for them. Um, so it's just an amazing, amazing benefit. Yeah. So same for me. I think it was in tap when I heard about it first. Like I never knew that that was a thing. But as soon as I heard about it, I, you know, went, talked to my commander, made a plan, kind of like we were talking about before, you know, how am I going to fill the gap that I'm leaving and how can we make this happen? It was also like at the height of COVID when I was leaving. So that was quite interesting. But yeah, it's up to 180 days permissive duty to focus like solely full-time with basically anyone that you want. Anyone can participate in the skill bridge program. So if there's somewhere you think you want to work, I mean, you're basically giving them a free internship. With the Air Force, it's a super easy form. All the different services participate in it, but it was just like a one sign off easy thing with the education office. So that made it really, you know, easy to participate in. First off, you just had to have the concurrence, but then you need to find someone, right? And they want you to find a company that ideally has gainful employment at the end of that kind of internship for you. 
So that's kind of a big part of it too, because they will question them. And I think there's something the the provider has to fill out too, you know, the provider of your skill bridge to kind of assess that you will be gaining civilian skills and industry and that, you know, there's potential for you to step into a role after that. I went the hiring our heroes route because it's a more, it was a more robust program. It's like a fellowship that they do. Um, So you have to apply and it's all over the country. And I I think they're still doing virtual, but just like another branch of that. So I had a whole cohort of people um, that were in the Colorado Springs location where I moved to, and they all were doing scale bridges all over the place. So we got to meet new contacts within the area too and start to build our network as well as do the skill bridge. But yeah, I mean, essentially you're, you know, kind of fading out or separating from active duty, but you're still getting paid and, you know, finishing off all your, your tasks to separate out and um, also on the path to gainful employment. So I think especially for those folks, you know, I had been in the civilian environment not too many years prior, but those folks that haven't done it in a while, it's, it's just, I think, such a great opportunity to kind of transition and hopefully, you know, walk right into a role afterward. Yeah. Thank you for uh, sharing those experiences. It sounds like it is a really great program, uh, one that really offers a lot of opportunity during that transition period. And I just want to, I want to take it back to something that Scott had said and touched on. So for me in my career, I actually started my career in the Navy, did four years in the Navy, separated, had a 10-year gap in service, and then came back. Um, Scott, you touched on something that I, I felt kind of really pulled on me a little bit. And that's that piece of you know what we have institutionalized um, being in the military and not really realizing or thinking about that when we transition uh, back into the civilian sector. And I think that that's really important. I think we really forget and lose a lot of what we do and what we learn here and how we operate. And so um, talking to that piece, I think, was was really, really important. And so I'm I'm glad that this GoBridge uh, program provides that opportunity because I don't think that it's something that a lot of us really think about. Yeah, it was really helpful for me in that perspective, right? Because it just takes a while to stop. Not that you should necessarily stop saying sir or ma'am, right? And calling everybody by their last names, but first names for folks that are way senior to you is is weird and uncomfortable at first, right? I had a hard time not standing up when the boss was coming in the room, right? Just little things like that. And they would just laugh at me uh, when I did it, right? And I'm like, yeah, there I go again. Or, you know, when you're going around the room with your team and you're saying, hey, any uh, save rounds and stuff, probably not the most appropriate or best thing to say in, in a civilian setting as you're going around the room. So it's just little things, right? That, that kind of add up and you're like, ah, yeah, I, I need to, I need to shift a little bit. And so that skill bridge time really helped with that shift. So I'll ask the next question, which comes from Cody on Facebook. Uh, did you miss the military once you left? And was there a struggle rejoining the civilian workforce? I'll say there's definitely aspects of it that I miss. I definitely miss, you know, I feel like we had a pretty tight group of MSCs at Dover. And I definitely miss that camaraderie that I had with my coworkers and, you know, uh, my airmen and the, the great civilian. I've always had great civilian employees and I, you know, I miss that camaraderie, you know, just kind of like just that, that atmosphere of being in the military. So definitely miss that aspect. But, um, you know, I do I do truly believe that this was the right choice for me. My husband actually works in Dover. And so we are staying local and he's he is a retiree. So 
um, I do still get access to the base. So, you know, I still get that experience, which is nice, but I'm currently not working right now. Like I mentioned in my, in my introduction, I am interviewing and I'll say that it's been a pretty robust process for getting into the civilian sector. Um, I mean, just for this one role that, um, I'm applying to, um, I've had five interviews and, you know, I know sometimes, you know, you go through multiple rounds of interviews for things, but I was like five interviews, that's a lot. Um, and that was just for one role, you know, at the very end, I might not even get this job. And so, you know, I'm gonna have to go through that again in the next interview and again and again. So, um, that's something that I wasn't, I wouldn't say prepared for, but you know, it was just kind of, it was just kind of, uh, you know, different versus, you know, in college, I was just kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'm going in the military after I graduate. So I did, wasn't really preparing for interviews in that sense. Yeah, that's a good point. I know when we move from base to base, you know, we're pretty much are just automatically given a job like, or we can have some input like, oh, I haven't worked, you know, readiness yet. Can I go in there? And they, your boss might try to work it out for you. But don't ever think about interviewing for a readiness job or a systems job or a GPM job. We're kind of just giving it, giving it to us and we just have to learn it. So that's a, that's a new skill that I know some of us are going to have to refigure out. Daria, what about you? Yeah, so great question. Um, absolutely. Like Shelby was saying, I miss the connections. You know, the camaraderie is like almost instant, right? You have a lifelong contacts, friends, you know, just from the active duty experience. And that I could definitely say I miss the most because it, it, it's really not the same in the civilian world. You know, it, it just doesn't happen that way. You're not all going through the same things. As far as like the struggle of rejoining the civilian workforce again, like it only been a few years for me. So thankfully the transition wasn't too much of a struggle. I would say for those, you know, starting to think about transition, maybe plan at least a year out uh, to get everything in order. I think that will help you a lot to really game plan how that's going to look. But if you haven't had that private sector experience, I also would say really find a way to get out there now, you know, shadow people, make connections, start building your LinkedIn, you know, get on that civilian side as much as you can through any organizations you belong to or anything you have interest in, because that, you know, is really going to help your transition. And really, you know, thinking about what you want your life to look like on the outside. I think someone mentioned, you know, yeah, you just move and you go into your job and, hey, I maybe haven't done this or I want to do this. Well, now you get to pick whatever it is that you want to do and you're not limited to the certain areas that MSCs focus on. So really, you know, get to know yourself, what's important to you, and that will help you focus as you go on that job search, you know, and think about what you really want to continue on for the future. But for myself too, it was it was probably about two, three months after separating that I got a new job and paycheck and all that jazz. So it still does take quite a bit of time as you go out and try to find those certain things you're looking for. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit of a mindset shift, or at least it was for me. I thoroughly enjoyed my time in the Air Force and, and especially as an MSC. Um, loved it. Loved that chapter of my life. Certainly missed the people and the mission. But if I'm going to be honest, I don't miss it as much as I thought I was going to, which is kind of surprising to me because I really had a lot of guilt. Like, making that decision to get out, you know, just these thoughts in my head of like, have I done enough? Did I help people out enough? Was I letting people down by by getting out maybe too early in my colonel years or whatever? 
But after you talk some, to some folks and kind of think about it, you think, oh my God, this Air Force machine was running smoothly way before you uh, were around and it's going to run smoothly way after you're gone, right? So uh, get over yourself and move on. I was really interested in working in the civilian world and, and see what that's like. Um, I will always be proud of, of the service and, and, and really cherish my Air Force time. And I think, honestly, living, you know, in Bernie, right close to San Antonio, there's a ton of retired MSCs here, right? And obviously active duty MSCs that I still keep in touch with, which probably helps with that. And what I didn't think about before, but of course makes a lot of sense, is a lot of folks at WellMed, of course, are, are prior military and even on my team, right? Not necessarily Air Force, but uh, you still have that connection and kind of talking through those things as retirees. So that's been a great help. So I love the experience, but I, I definitely feel like it was a good time for me to transition. Yeah, that's really good information. Thank you. And I definitely want to just throw in there something that you mentioned uh, earlier. It is kind of weird calling you Scott, even though I know you're an 06. <laughs> yeah, uh, I haven't been called anything else but Scott for like the past year. So it would be weird if you called me anything different. Well, Scott, you made a, a, a good observation that I think is out there about how there's a cultural pressure that you know, to, to express an opinion of wanting to do anything other than stay in the military and do the job and go through with the core and, you know, eventually become a GO or whatever, you know, pinnacle position you're seeking is somehow disloyal or thought less of, you know, when in reality, you know, everybody's going to get out at some point in time or another. And, you know, it's, it's my belief. And I think my two hosts, uh, here with me share a similar feeling you know it's like you got to do what's right for you and like you said the organization will find a way to persevere and the machine will keep running without you once you're gone so but just th there's a pressure though that that somehow you're you're failing if you want to leave yeah it's kind of a funny thing right because we know when we when we join that we're getting out at some time whether it's four years or 10 years 20 years or 30 years right like we know that time's coming and we got to make the right decision for our families and make sure that we have, you know, that we're continuing to grow and develop and all that after the military, right? I mean, you've got to, that's the healthy way to do it, right? So it, it is just an interesting conversation. I was just going to say, um, kind of on that conversation on feeling some kind of guilt about leaving. When I had kind of started talking to a few people about thinking that I was, you know, oh, I'm thinking about separating and getting out of the military, a lot of people were supportive, but the other side of that, there were a handful of people that were like, oh, you sure you want to do that? You know, think about the benefits that you get being in the military. Think about the pension. Think about this. Think about that. And I know it was with good intentions, but it did. It was kind of a bummer, you know, because I knew that the direction that I wanted to go in my life, um, that I wasn't going to be able to do that in the military. And so a lot of people feel like try to, whether they mean to or not, you know, they, they can sometimes make you feel like you're going to, you're going to struggle if you're not in the military. But, you know, there's say it's like 1% of people in the population serving in the military. Well, there's 99% of people that aren't in the military that do this every day and they're okay. And they have kids and they have houses and cars and, you know, and so for anybody that's listening, that's kind of on the fence or maybe they're scared because, you know, they hear about, oh, if the grass isn't always greener, but like you will be okay. I mean, even right now I'm not working, you know, thankfully my husband supports me, but like it is, it is going to be okay. So, you know, don't be afraid to take, to take that leap if it is what you are thinking about it, but make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and that, you know, you're doing it for you. I would agree to that. I would say, you know, I, 
I also, I had a very hard time making that decision. You know, it was a whole hurdle to overcome doing this direct commission and putting all that effort in just to get in. And then it's like, oh, you're just going to, you know, get out now. You have so much ahead of you and you're, you know, about to go do this and that. But it was, again, like Shelby said, reflecting within and what's the best for my family and, you know, what do I want my career to look like? Like, can I see myself doing this in 20 years? You know, I think DHA had a, a lot of that uh, influence in my big decision, you know, coming from private sector, like, oh gosh, you know, this is going to be interesting. But I would also extend that American corporate partners and Veterati do offer free mentorships, uh, not only for building connections, but for topics just like this about making decisions. Some are prior mill, some are not, but they're free resources that are out there for you. So highly encourage uh, folks to use those if it's something you'd be interested in. You know, we're for listeners of the podcast, we're going to have a list of a lot of the resources that are mentioned here on our webpage, uh, just for your people to look back on later if they're seeking help or looking for, you know, a little bit of support. You know, Daria, you'd mentioned earlier that some things that weren't really discussed very much, you know, you learned about SkillBridge through TAP, but I know there are a lot of things that TAP doesn't cover. Which leads to just a more general question. What's something big that you guys uh, have seen that the Air Force doesn't really prepare you for in the transition? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to step on another soapbox here. Uh, Your VA disability. I really knew nothing about this. Again, there's so many resources out there. But I will have to say that process, everything about your VA disability and the benefits that you're allotted from serving um, has changed my life. I did work with the DAV um, and I got a rep. I forget what their official titles are, but they know the process inside out, backwards, forwards. Um, They will get all up in your business if you allow them to, but they are on your side. They talk to the VA on your behalf. They're on every phone call with you. They go through all the evaluation process. They have a checklist. They know how to get you the best for you that's going to you know help you in the long run. So as a part of that, it was after I separated, but I did start the VA disability process. I did get 100% VA disability rating, uh, which I, again, knew very little about, uh, but it has changed my life. It has changed my career decision based on you know the checks that I get every month from being 100%. It also helped to pay off all of my school loans. And, you know, there's healthcare that'll be allotted to me uh, for life. So that part of the journey, I think, is is not really talked about. I, again, I didn't know much until TAP, and I didn't even know much then. But when I was deciding, I had offers at Amazon, and I had offers at the VA, and I was really like thinking about what is important to me. That work-life balance that the military instilled was never something I had in the private sector. It would never be something I had if I stayed in the private sector. But I realized how important that is, and that time, and being able to travel, and spend time with my husband and my family. And so that is why the government service lured me back in. I knew I wasn't going to be a millionaire. I knew my paycheck was going to be less. But because of that VA disability, I was then supported in many ways where I could pursue that government career. So I think that's something 
that's that's very much lacking. And it would have made my decision to transition so much easier if I would have known about that and all the different things out there. So don't hesitate to research VSOs, other veteran service organizations like the DAV. There's people out there that specialize in almost every facet of your transition that you could think of. And they want to help you uh, to get as much as you can out of your benefits. And there are a ton of them out there. So, you know, don't stop searching on that, but they're all there and ready to help because they love helping veterans. So I think I had a little bit more information going in, right? So joint spouse, right? And so Kimberly retired two years before I did and went through the process, right? So that was very helpful. Plus, I, I reached out to a lot of folks that had just retired and kind of their, just to get a feel of their experiences, what they wish that they would have known, what they wish that they would have did, that kind of thing. TAP for me was, was really good, actually better than I thought it was going to be. And I definitely encourage people to go to TAP more than once if you have time, right? Like even if you're thinking about retiring in the next, geez, three to five years, I, I would go. There's just so much information and you can't digest it all in one session. And, and plus your life circumstances changes over those those few years as you're starting to think about transitioning. So I definitely would go more than once. The uh, They had a panel for us at, at TAP and they brought in about four or five people that were in the, the local community in, in Virginia. And one of the folks said, you know, you really got to set aside time for your transition. And he said, I'm going to say that you guys are going to hear it. And then you're going to go right back to work and and knock out all the stuff that you have to do at work because that's what you've been doing all these times. You're going to focus in and you're going to put all this on the side. And then one day you're going to say, oh man, I have all these things that I have to do and I'm not taking care of my family. And you're going to start beating yourself up because you didn't set aside that time. And whether that time's on the weekend or, or you know, obviously after hours or whatever it is, you just need to set aside that time. Because he said, you know, whether you're, uh, if you're retiring or you're separating, think of it as you're quitting, right? If you're hitting your higher tenure, that 30 years, you're getting fired from the Air Force, right? And so on the civilian side, if you were, if you knew that you were going to quit or you knew that you were going to get fired, you definitely would be taking that time to do your research, to do your networking, to get on LinkedIn and do all those things that you have to do. The other thing that people told me that they wish they would have done uh, going back to the VA process is if you're going to do the life insurance thing, do it before you start the, the VA process, right? Because your medical record is going to look a little bit different after the VA process. So if you want to do that, because the SPLI is, you know, it's, it's a different animal once you're out. So if you want to do the life insurance thing, do it before you start the claim process. And then ditto on the on the claim process. That's a little bit of a black box. They definitely bring in a speaker and they'll talk through that. But you just, you know, Motrin and water are not going to work for the rest of your life, and you're not getting any younger. So your your ailments aren't going to get any better, right? So you got to go in and make the time, get those appointments knocked out, and then get lined up with what the what the rules are on on the VA side and make those appointments and just start asking questions. I need to get my pinky toe looked at tomorrow. That pinky toe is not going to get any better in 20 years, my friend. So you do. <laughs> well, and that sounds crazy, but I will tell you the DAV rep was so good at this, but they will tell you even small things like that, you need to get evaluated and you need to get rated because even if it's 0%, you can go back at any time in you know your life and go back and say, hey, this has gotten worse and I need a reeval. And because you're 0% rated on XYZ, whatever you got, you know, looked at, 
they can do that and they can readjust and then compensate you for service connection and things like that. So literally, like I said, they will go through every little thing and that 0% even matters. Yeah, that's something I need to get better at because I definitely have things that hurt here and there, but I'm just like, nah, just put some ice and I'll be good for a few more days. But like, not, no joke, true story, but I might jam my index finger probably two months ago and it's actually still hurting. And I'm like, maybe I should get this checked out. But I'm like, usually I'm like, I'm not going to go to the doctor just for an index finger. But I don't know, after, after hearing all this information, maybe I should get like every little thing at least on record, that has hurt <laughs> since I've actually joined. Yeah, it's probably good information for me to take back. And it sounds crazy, but that's where your your Marines and your Army folks and a lot of uh, vets I work with, they just do the suck it up. You know, they don't want to be evaluated, documented, anything that will impede their current service. And that has now hurt them later in their lives as they go to file these disabilities and try to make claims because there is no documentation, there's no record, there's nothing that can service connect them and they are suffering, you know, and should be compensated, but, you know, didn't take those steps because that pride is there. Yeah, I definitely agree. You got to, you got to check the ego and it's sometimes hard, right? When you're going in and have these conversations with your VA rep and, and if, if you have a really good VA rep, they'll tell you, this is not the time to be tough. Uh, you're not in your 20s, and, and Scott, you're not in your 30s. So as they go down the list of ailments, and you're like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, the good VA reps will stop you and say, okay, again, you're not in your 20s, you're not in your 30s. I, I'm not saying that you know you can't do certain things because of this now, but at least let's get the claim in and, and see what the rating is, right? So it's not about you, it's about your family as well, right? You're not trying to do anything crazy. You're just, you're just going in and saying, okay, here's what it is. And whatever that formula spits out, then, then great. I recently spent some time signing myself up for the burn pit registry for my deployment time back in 2005. And I don't have any particular health issues that, you know, I, I would trace back to that time, but you never know about the future. You know, back to your point, Daria, about even if it's 0% today, in the future, that might change for one reason or another. But I, I felt it was necessary at that point. I was like, hey, you know, it takes a couple hours to work through all of the interview questions and all that stuff. There's some back and forth, but let's let's do that now. And then we'll see, you know, kind of what pans out over the next couple of decades. Shelby, anything that you want to add about the uh, things that the Air Force didn't really prepare you for that you found once you did separate? Yeah, thank you. The, the only other thing I'll say, and, and I kind of mentioned it, but interviewing for jobs, interviewing is a skill. There's, there's a science and an art to it. And, you know, as, as Manoj mentioned, you know, when you go to your next base or, you know, you're, you're kind of just given it like, okay, Hey, you're going to be the readiness flight commander. You're going to be the GPM and you're going to go to systems and you kind of just have to figure it out. But for the civilian sector, you know, you have to interview for things. So I'd say that's one thing that I, I didn't feel super prepared for, um, was just kind of that interview process. And, you know, I'm just kind of learning it now, just through trial and error. But I, the one thing I wish I would have done more when I was active duty is utilizing my LinkedIn. I kind of just ignored it. I made one in college way back in the day. And then I kind of just ignored it kind of because I was in that mindset, like, oh, well, I'm in the military. I, you know, I, I don't need to use this right now, but you know, we're all going to get out eventually. And so when I did get out, I was like, oh, shoot, I wish I would have used this more. So now I'm trying to use it more. So um, anybody that's listening, try to use it as much as you can. Um, and yep, that would be, that would be my advice. 
Absolutely. Second those two points. Interviews, think of like boards or any awards you went up for. That's like Shelby was saying, five different interviews. That's constant. And yes, uh, the interview skills and then being ready. That's that's absolutely, I would second those points. Yeah. Thanks everybody for the feedback on those uh, and sharing that experience with you. I know the, especially the the more difficult areas and anything that you guys are willing to share there really, we're, you know, we're hopeful that maybe it'll help somebody that'll listen and, and maybe might be going through that process here sometime soon. But like Greg said, all of us at some point will have to eventually take the uniform off. So I did want to just mention, I forgot to mention at the beginning that that, that question was one that was posed by a friend of the podcast, Nate Shear who uh, has one of his own podcasts, Mind Force, Mental Fitness and Career Stories. want to put a plug out there that that uh, our listeners uh, go over there and give Nate a listen. He's putting together, really just starting out, but putting together some, some great content and uh, really a positive message about mental fitness and it's things that I think need to be talked about. And so please give it a listen. This has been such a great conversation, so stay tuned for part two of this episode, which will come out in two weeks. And as always, from all of us here to all of you out there, have a great evening. C41A is an independent company and produced by C41A Media. Digital media support and creative director, Manoj Rima, marketing and IT, Christopher Foote, and director and outreach, Greg Taylor.